And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And welcome to the Total Soccer Show. I think I said hello and welcome and welcome. My name is Taylor Rockwell. Joining me today to preview the upcoming Serie A season, which kicks off this weekend, is our old pal David Amoyal. David, thank you so much for being here. It's a real pleasure, Taylor, to be back on your show. We've done a few of these and I'm humbled to still be part of it. Uh, So great to talk to you and uh, good afternoon. Buon pomeriggio, buona mattina, buona sera, depending on when you're hearing this to all the listeners. Yours sounded slightly more authentic, if I'm being honest. Uh, I appreciate that your willingness to be here. I appreciate your willingness to be peppered with a bunch of questions. We have Manuel Vates, who does this for our sort of Bundesliga coverage where I can ask him basically anything about any topic and he seems to have an answer. Uh, for people who are new to the show, David is very much the same when it comes to Serie A. I have many questions because it feels like it's been a weird summer and will be a weird start to the season. But first, we haven't spoken since Italy won the Euros. Uh, how was your summer with that in mind? Uh, superb. I have to say, you know, Taylor, the Euro reminded me as to why, you know, I fell in love uh, with this sport. I yeah. think, you know, especially the past year or two, you know, covering a lot of transfers and, you know, agent commissions, mm-hmm. profits, uh, players leaving maybe under not the best of circumstances made me pretty cynical. And I have to say, watching Italy's run at the Euro kind of reminded me why I love this sport so much. And I've been following Italy and tournaments since uh, the late 80s. You know, I can't remember a time where so many people actually liked Italy. I felt (laughs) like they were everyone's kind of second favorite team. You know, they were 
rated highly going into the tournament. I thought they played really well. I thought they absolutely deserved to win. So, uh, yeah, no, it was definitely great. You know, it was also a period where things were looking, you know, pretty safe. I got to go out and really enjoy it around other fans. So, no, I have to say it was awesome to see them win. Uh, But it really reminded me of why I love this sport so much. And we are going to talk about maybe the things you love less, like transfers, (laughs) contracts, weird agent fees, all that type of thing. Let's stay with Italy for a moment, uh, because you obviously have a lot of knowledge when it comes to that squad. Had it before the tournament, have it after the tournament. But was there anybody that particularly stood out to you as being surprising? Not necessarily that they were included, but just that they performed the way they did, that they fit in as well as they did, or overall, was it sort of the Italy team that you've come to expect? It's a great question. So I don't know why I want to start uh, with Chiellini and Bonucci, Mm. uh, which is maybe counterintuitive. But, you know, these are two guys, if you're really plugged in with Italian football, you know, people that People that aren't Juve fans tend not to like Juve. And one of the big criticisms was like, oh, Chiellini and Bonucci are bullies. They win in Italy, but the minute they leave Italy, they can't win, which is probably not fair considering they were in two Champions League final. But for them to have the tournament that they did, especially Chiellini, you know, at his age, and I think people really saw the personality of Chiellini, what a great guy yeah, so I know it's a little counterintuitive, but that's really um, what jumps out at me. I thought Jorginho, you know, a player that, you know, in a lot of ways is pretty controversial. You know, there's a lot of people that don't rate him. I think the fact that, you know, he's he's won so many trophies this year, uh, I thought was really a great vindication for him. And But the guy that surprised me, and unfortunately he was injured, was Spinazzola, who I thought, you know, had he stayed healthy – he would have been up there with Donnarumma and Bonucci as uh, the player of the tournament uh, for Italy. And then I thought to Locatelli, you know, played really well when he was starting. I, I think in retrospect, it sounds maybe a little crazy that there was a debate if he should start over Verratti when yeah. Verratti came back, because Verratti is obviously one of the highest profile Italian players, so I think Locatelli certainly uh, made a name for himself. So those are, you know, and I thought Donnarumma, you know, absolutely put himself on the map as, you know, as one of the best keepers in the world and potentially as someone that we could be talking in 10, 15 years as Donnarumma maybe being one of the greatest keepers ever. So I think for a lot of players it was kind of a coronation, but the real surprises for me were Spinazzola and Locatelli. And you mean Antonio Donnarumma, right? Of course. <laughs> no, not him. N- not the older brother no, no, so no, much. No. All right. All right. Fine. Uh, I like that it was a sort of steady, calm uh, Italy side coached by Roberto Mancini, because that feels very much at odds with the upcoming uh, Serie A season, where I feel like we usually have at least a few teams that are pretty consistent, pretty steady. We kind of know what we're going to get from them. We have a couple of those this time round, but we have Antonio Conte leaving Inter, uh, Simone Inzaghi taking over, leaving Lazio, being replaced by Maurizio Sarri, Max Allegri taking over at Juve, Luciano Spalletti back with Napoli. There have been a lot of changes. That's just a few. I have more questions about yeah. the managerial uh, turnover is it is it just the case that everybody needed a refresh, or is this sort of a domino effect? Why do you feel like we've seen such a big shakeup, such a big kind of change in the maybe top half of the table when it comes to managers? 
Uh, it's a great question. And look, while there may not have been a lot of fireworks for incoming transfers and said, yeah, for players, certainly that was not the case for managers. It's a great question because, look, in Italy, the shelf life for a manager is typically pretty short. It's rare for a manager to stay even past two, three seasons everywhere. And it just felt like a lot of teams were looking, uh, you know, to do a reset. I think, you know, there were different reasons. I think, you know, Inter's financial situation it made it very hard for Conte to stay. I think now when we saw what happened afterwards, he looks pretty justified in leaving mm. uh, the way he did. I think, you know, Juve, they were hoping that Pirlo would work out and it didn't. So they went with, with a surfing with Allegri. So, yeah, no, it's very interesting. I think Roma, you know, they had new owners when they first arrived. They went with some continuity with Fonseca. It was a matter of time until they were going to make their mark. And I think, look, I think Lazio would have been very happy to keep Simone Inzaghi. They were ready to offer him a new contract. It looked like they were going to keep him. And then Inter convinced them to go. And now you got to wonder how he feels about that decision with yep. Lukaku leaving after so yeah i think it's a great question i i think there were a lot of small things that culminated in all this and look at the end of the day of the top teams in the league of the top seven teams in the league everyone changed managers except for milan and atalanta yep. so yeah we're definitely a lot of changes so let's stay with inter for a moment because they win the sure. title antonio conte is happy or as happy as he can be the squad is strong now they have lost uh romelu lukaku they've sold atraf Hakimi as well i think that would be 180 million euros to spend except the reports are that they're only going to be allowed to spend about 35 million of that it does seem like it's a pretty bleak situation over there is it as bleak as it seems when you start looking at those numbers and how big of an impact do you think that will have on their ability to compete for top four this season I have to say I'm probably more optimistic uh, okay. about Inter than most. But look, there's no doubt about it. Lukaku was the best player in Serie A last season. He's gone. Hakimi, we haven't had a wing back quite like that in Italy. I compare his impact a little bit to when Salah arrived in Italy and absolutely took the league by storm. Conte, I think, is the best manager in, in Italy. Allegri would make a case for sure, but Conte is a massive loss. So I totally get you look at Inter and then you add to that what happened with Ericsson, which unfortunately they couldn't have, you know, predicted so they had that terrible situation they were already in a horrible financial situation so they find themselves also having to replace Ericsson on top of that but all things considered I think Inter has done as good a job as you could have done with the financial constraints uh uh, their executive director Beppe Marotta was uh, the main architect of uh, Juve's success of the past 10 years I think we've seen since he left Juve it certainly has not been the same Juve, Juve was always described as brilliant on the transfer market now maybe not so much and I think Marotta deserves a lot of credit um, I, I see some themes. I think they looked, uh, they said, okay, we had a winning uh, formula at Inter with this 3-5-2, very solid defensively. They had the best defense in Serie A last season. They conceded the least amount of goals. That whole unit is coming back. Typically in Italy, if you give up the least amount of goals, you win the Scudetto. There, there's been some exceptions, but it's pretty rare. Inzaghi is the most similar coach to Conte out there in style and interpretation of football. So to me, that made 
a ton of sense uh, to bring him in. Dumfries, who we saw at the Euro, I thought he was pretty impressive on the Dutch team. He does have some a little reminiscent of Hakimi. So yeah. I think Inter looked a lot and were like, listen, we have this winning formula. Let's see if we can bring it back as much as possible. I think of one of last of Conte's quotes before he left Inter is he goes, look, now the players know what it takes to win. I, we showed them what they need to do. And I think an Inter's mind is like, okay, yeah, we have this horrible financial situation. We don't have the money to reinvent the wheel by bringing a different manager. Let's try to keep it as similar as possible. You know, they bring in Zeko. They're looking to bring in another striker to help make up for Lukaku. Now, I clearly don't think they are on Juve's level, but I would also say I'd be really quite surprised if they don't finish in the top four. And I think had you told someone at the beginning of the summer you're going to lose Conte, Lukaku, Hakimi, and Eriksson's not, you know, most likely not going to be available, you would say Inter's in trouble. And I think even Chalanoglu is a player, you know, that's pretty controversial. Some people rate him, some people don't. They bring him in real fast to help replace Ericsson. No transfer fee. I think he makes sense in that midfield. So, you know, if I had to pick, I think Juve are the favorites. I, If you told me Inter are the favorites to be runner-ups, I wouldn't disagree. It's always risky when I start a statement slash question without really knowing where I'm going to go with it. But I'm going to do that here because I'm really glad that you sort of said what you said about Inter because looking at what they have done – the business all makes sense, or at least it mostly makes sense uh, like, in terms of what they have to do in terms of selling the players. But also Lukaku leaves, as you said, Jekko arriving, Hakimi departs, Matteo Darmian brought in on a permanent, I think Dental Dumfries, as you said, as well. And you can see how they're sort of balancing the team. I had honestly, I'm being totally honest, forgotten what had happened to Christian Eriksen. It's been a very long summer. And I had read, <laughs> and I read like Hakan Chalunulu was brought in to be like a... Uh, to be a replacement option for Christian Eriksen. And I was sort of like, oh, I guess they're going for depth. Like, I kind of completely forgot. So again, that move starts to make more sense. And then they clear off some of the wages with Ashley Young, Raja Nangalan, Mario, to name a few. And and it does seem like basically if they hadn't won the title last year in the way they did with the personnel they did, if this were an Inter team that finished fourth and had sacked their manager and now Inzaghi is inheriting this team, I think it's a more optimistic picture so it's definitely like a a less strong squad but i think maybe reports of their demise are slightly overblown i i totally agree with that all right all right cool i'm glad i I went in that direction i then i'm going to take us into a much more nuanced direction because i would like you if you can to explain i don't even know how to say his name fully uh zinho van van houston is that how you say it yeah can you explain what is happening there so he has been signed on a permanent, but then loaned uh, loaned out. Uh, but before that, he was, what, with the Standard Liège Academy. Then he goes to the Inter Academy. He makes the Inter team, uh, senior team. Then he gets loaned to Standard Liège, bought by Standard Liège, and now he's been bought back by Inter to immediately be loaned out to, I believe, Genoa. I don't understand, yeah. David. Can you make it make sense? Well, you know, there are some transactions that I think uh, favor much more accounts than they do coaches sometimes. And look, I've heard Van Hudson, I've actually heard some pretty good things about him. I'm curious to actually see him play at Genoa. This is a player that Inter moved for what maybe thought was an inflated number. Then they bring him back. So, you know. What people need to remember with transfer fees is every every time you sell a player, you record, you know, the profit on it right away for that year. So you get an infusion of cash. 
But when you buy a player, you get to spread out the payment over the life of the contract. So to me, Van Hudson, I mean, there are other examples of players, but he's probably the most egregious one being moved around for these numbers. And now we're actually going to get to see him play in uh, Serie A. So, yeah, I think he's one of those where it's probably more an accounting move than a sporting one. That makes a lot of sense because I was very confused as to why a club that are going to be cash strapped are going to be have to be very frugal with how they're spending would sign a center back to then immediately loan him out but if there are sort of calculations to be done away from the spotlight now i'm understanding a bit more is that a way that inter you think will be able to kind of like function at an even higher level is by using some of that creative accounting that creative bookkeeping well look you know uh sadia as a whole, as a league, has losses and a deficit somewhat comparable. Like Barcelona by themselves is more than a Serie A, but it's not that far off. And Italian clubs have been able to survive with the Plus Valenza, which is one of the words I'm really known for. You know, it's basically the profit that you make on a player above what he's worth on your books. For that year, and look, we've seen a lot of these. We've seen Juve, the Arthur Pjanic swap, and now there's rumors that maybe Pjanic's going to come back on loan at yeah. Juve. There are these deals with these numbers that you know are recorded in a certain way, and we've also saw this Locatelli deal where Juve is not putting any money up front at all. They are going to start paying this in a few years when they don't have Ronaldo. On the books. And, you know, a lot of these clubs in Italy do a lot of business with one another. And sometimes it's like, okay, I'll scratch your back this time. I might need some money on my books. Uh, Next transfer window, remember this favor that I did to you. So I think there's a lot of that. And look, you know, this happens in a lot of places, in a lot of businesses. I think in Italy, they are the most brazen and Honest is maybe not the right word, but it's really out in the open. So, yeah, that's how they roll. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think... 
I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. Do you have a favorite singular move that has happened this season so far in Serie A? Or, or maybe broader, do you have a team that you think has done particularly good business across the board? I would have to say Roma. And look, you know, new signings are obviously much sexier and more fun. And they've had a few intriguing ones. You know, they've had real liability at keepers since Alisson left. I think Rui Patricio is certainly solid, better than what they've had. Uh, they replaced Spinazzola quickly, who got injured with Vigna. I've heard some good things about him at Tammy Abraham. I've always been a fan of his. I think he'll do. I'm very intrigued to see how he does. But what really impressed me about Roma is they had so many players that they had out on loan coming back, players on their squad that did work out. I mean, they had the most, probably the most bloated uh, squad in Serie A going into the season. And their sporting general manager, Thiago Pinto, arrived last year. I think did an amazing job. Uh, cleaning that up, moving so many players. They've shed uh, a ton of wages. And in this financial environment, uh, being able to do that, I think, is really quite remarkable. And look, I think Roma, Mourinho's a pretty big X factor. I could see them being anywhere between second and seventh place. But uh, the degree of difficulty of moving all those players can be underestimated. Mm -hmm. You have to appease a new manager like Mourinho that's pretty demanding, and I think he's pretty happy with what they've done. So if I had to pick one team, I would pick them. Uh, Speaking of Jose, The Guardian had an article titled Jose Mourinho at Roma, A Special Coup or a Gamble on Nostalgia. I'm just going to steal that headline and turn it over to you to ask which one you think he is more likely to be, a special coup or a gamble on nostalgia? Between the two, I would say more a gamble on nostalgia, but I think it can be a gamble that pays off. I think Mourinho obviously is not what he was like five years ago, but I think in Serie in that environment in Rome, I think that's a place where it might actually work out. Like I always say people might think Juve, Milan, Inter are the most pressured jobs in Italy, but to me it's clearly Roma. Like uh, the passion in the city is really something else. They've really embraced them. I think the personality he has is absolutely perfect for the environment. Um, you know, in the early, at the beginning of this millennium, Roma brought in uh, Capello, who had, you know, had won a lot at a, in the past, then he won a title at Roma. It didn't last very long. Now, I, I don't know if Mourinho can win a title, but you could talk me into this being Capello 2.02. But at the same time, it could also <laughs> yeah. really, really go <laughs> south. But no matter what, I think, you know, if you're someone like me who covers Serie A, the fact that Mourinho's yeah. there is like one of the 
greatest Christmas gifts you're ever going to get. And look, you know, we've seen all the fights and the preseason games, everything about Roma. I think the Friedkins deserve a lot of credit for the way Roma's just really entertaining. And and I can tell that they've been in the movie business. Like they know about (laughs) narratives, storylines. I mean, Roma's just fascinating. I'm not surprised they were one of the first few teams you'd want to ask me about. Uh, and I want to keep asking you sort of about them because we've lost Antonio Conte. We have Jose Mourinho there. Which managers do you think are most likely to get into it like a touchline fracas on the sidelines? Like maybe there's just a little word. Maybe there's some frustration with the way the game is being played. But I feel like Jose Mourinho is in that conversation. Normally, I would say like Mourinho versus Conte feels like it's it's ripe for oh, yeah, yeah. frustration. But who would you say this season with Conte departed? I think it's going to be in the same town. I think Sarri Uh, and Mourinho, although they are trying to play it down. (laughs) I mean, look, Sarri, you know, people people remember Sarri at Napoli. He was pretty blunt. Some people would say vulgar. And I think in some cases that would be fair. But, you know, he also was kind of, he knew the city and the fan base he was representing. And we've seen Sarri really out of his element, both at Chelsea and Juve. I love Sarri. He's one of my favorite figures in Serie A. And I think Lazio is just the perfect club for him. Now, maybe the squad isn't ideal for him, but the size of the club, the attitude of the club uh, fits really well. I think he's going to go back to being you know, more of himself. There, I mean, the only thing that maybe not a mix is the politics. Like, Sarri is a well-known, very left-wing kind of guy. So let's see how that works out with the the fan base. But him and Mourinho, I mean, I think the first derby in Rome, the press conferences are going to be really fun. Like, they've been pretty diplomatic with uh, one another so far, but I think that's going to change. So I would pick them, but you're right. Had Conte (laughs) stayed there, it would have been superb. Like, I remember the video when Conte was told that Mourinho was at Roma. Like, nobody expected that move to happen. It was out of the blue. His reaction was just superb. I think he probably knew that he was going to leave Inter, but maybe in the back of his mind would have been like, geez, this would have been fun had I stayed. (laughs) Uh, I I want to ask you about Sarri and Lazio, but one more question about Roma first. Mourinho spoke of it being a long-term project. He noted that Roma has a lot of work to do to clean things up and get the team kind of functioning on and off the field. Edin Dzeko was a name that was consistently mentioned before he was uh, let go as like being on a very high wage. They needed to clear off more players from the books who do you think they most need to kind of send out maybe either on loan or on a permanent deal but who could they stand to get rid of to reduce that wage bill well look right now they are trying to get uh, Florenzi to Milan I think that will pro and then Pedro who actually played for Sarri at uh, Chelsea is likely going to Lazio So, yeah, so I think those two, as you mentioned, Zeko. So, look, I think they've done a great job there. And, look, Roma has the advantage that Zaniolo's coming back. He didn't play at all last season. And I I haven't seen any Serie A team add a player as impactful as Zaniolo coming back. So they have the, the, the ace up the sleeve. They can say, hey, we have the best new addition in Serie A with Zaniolo, and they've done a great job. So I think once Pedro and Florenzi move out, I mean, there's some other players like Robin Olsen, who's been on their squad, Diarao, who's a 
promising young midfielder they might sell, but uh, they, they've done a good job there. So I think Pedro and Florenti are the last two. And we do also have uh, the young American Brian Reynolds at Roma. Do you yeah. expect him to get much time under Mourinho? Uh, possibly. I mean, Karsdorp, with, with Florenzi mm-hmm. leaving, because he was kind of the backup to Karsdorp, but right back, uh, yeah, I actually think that could work out for Reynolds because Karsdorp is pretty injury-prone. So, yeah, actually, I think Reynolds has a chance. We know Mourinho isn't crazy about playing younger players, especially on defense, but he really doesn't have too many other options. So the fact that Reynolds hasn't been loaned out and Roma has shown they are good at moving players that they want to get out is probably a good sign for him. Maybe less of a good sign when it comes to Lazio is what you said earlier, which is that the club itself is perfect for Maurizio Sade, maybe not the squad. It does seem like it will be a slightly different approach, and we know how that went for him when he took over Juve. Probably less pressure to kind of make things work at Lazio, but still plenty of pressure. What do you think needs to be done there, or how can Sade go about making that team more in the mold that he wants it to be? Yeah, so look, you know, they're changing formation. Inzaghi played three at the back. Sarri's never done that. So he's going to have classic four-man defense. Um, you know, they they brought in Hizaj, who was one of his uh, wingbacks at Empoli and Napoli. I think that could be okay. But, you know, a lot of the other wingbacks that they have are more offensive-minded in a 3-5-2, so there's an issue there. They have a Cherby who is their best defender, and I thought he did pretty well for the Euro for Italy in a four-man defense. So, But, you know, they really have no other reliable center back. Their midfield, you know, Midinkovic Savic, Luis Alberto, great. Lucas Lleva is getting older. Let's see if Sarri can get another season after him. In theory, that's actually a pretty good midfield for them, it'll be interesting to see what they do up front. I mean, they they did bring back Felipe Anderson, who they had sold for a fortune to West Ham to bring him back basically for free. I think we need to come up with a name for when you do that. You sell a player for big money and then bring him back for nothing. So kudos for Lazio. That's a player Sarri wanted at Napoli, but who knows how much. Uh, he wasn't really good in the Premier League, so we'll see there. And we'll have Pedro. Might be pretty intriguing as a kind of a super sub. Uh, But the other question, you know, for Lazio is Immobile, because we saw Immobile in Inzaghi's system. You could write him in for 25 goals in Serie A and feel pretty confident that he could do it in Inzaghi's system. But then we saw Immobile play for Italy, and that Italy team was pretty inspired by uh, Sarri's Napoli, and we kept saying Immobile is kind of a liability here. So that's the other question, is how is Immobile going to do there? So I, I, you know, I always root for Sarri. I really want him to do well, but this is not going to be exactly easy for him with this team. And it was Sarri's Napoli. It is now Luciano Spalletti's Napoli. Uh, how are you feeling about that appointment and the work to be done by him? I really, I think Napoli is very underrated. I'm not really into gambling, but I like looking at the odds just to get a sense of what uh, the feeling is out there. I saw most places Napoli 12 to 1. That feels like really good value. Uh, to me, because look, last season Napoli, we kept saying, okay, they're the sec, they're the third, maybe even second best squad. In Serie A, I thought Gattuso was a good manager. I think Spalletti is a clear 
upgrade Osman, who was the most expensive purchase in Napoli history. When he played, he was awesome, and he battled COVID, had some injuries. Uh, you look at Spalletti, strikers under him. Zeko had his best season at Roma, Icardi, until he clashed with Spalletti. Uh, did great. Um, you know, if this time next year we are talking about Osman being uh, the player in Serie A who has the highest value on the transfer market. That would make perfect sense to me. Uh, so, look, you know, they haven't really made any moves on the transfer market, and that can be good or bad. I mean, they, they really kind of needed a left back. It sounds like Emerson Palmieri won't be it. He would have been a nice move. For them, but they still have a very solid defense because the market, you know, it's been there's just no teams that have money. Uh, you know, with them not making the Champions League last year, we would have said, okay, Koulibaly, Fabian Ruiz, Insigne, maybe all these players are gone. But the fact that hardly anyone has money on transfers, all these players are still at Napoli. So, uh, you know, with Inter and Atalanta, I would say. Those are where Juve, Inter, Atalanta, and Napoli, to me, are, are clearly the top four in Serie A. And I could see Inter doing quite well. Spalletti really is one of uh, the best managers in Serie A, and I think he can do really well here. You sort of just answered my question there about Spalletti, but yeah, how is he perceived in Italy and Serie A? Because I think he first kind of comes... So prominence for me when I first become aware of him is in his first stint at Roma, then he's at Zenit, then he's back at Roma, then Inter and yeah. Napoli. But before that, plenty of other uh, clubs in Italy. And he's a player who, or manager who seems to bounce around a little bit, never seems to get that much attention outside of Italy, but also seems like maybe he should. Yeah, no, I, I think that's fair. I think Spalletti is, you know, what? Elite, maybe right below elite managers in Serie A. This is the guy that brought Inter back to the Champions League. I think, you know, had Inter not had the opportunity to sign Conte, it was clearly better. He might even still be there. Um, Spalletti, you know, is known for being a fairly offensive-minded uh, manager for Italian standards. He's also known for someone who's not afraid to get in the face of uh, certain players. Like him and Totti clashed quite a bit. You know, they had a, a big series, a TV series in Italy on Totti, where Spalletti was kind of the villain. Uh, at Inter, Icardi leaves. Like between Spalletti and Marotta, their director, they handled that situation. And in retrospect, they did really well with that uh Icardi sale. Now at Napoli, there's maybe rumors that maybe Insigne won't stay. And so people are like, oh, this is Spalletti, you know, not afraid to get in people's faces. So look, I was a pretty big fan of Gattuso, but I certainly would rather have Spalletti. I look at their squad. He likes to play that 4 2 3 1 style. I think it checks a lot of boxes. Like Lozano last season really, really came on. Uh, so yeah, I, I think I think it was a very inspired hiring uh, by De Laurentiis to bring in Spalletti and Napoli. Having just asked you about the impressions of one manager, I will ask you about another. You just mentioned him, uh, Gattuso. Uh, brought in by Fiorentina that lasted, what, less than a month. Uh, he was in the conversation for the Tottenham job. That did not go well. <laughs> what is the perception of uh, Gattuso as a manager? Because he has never been one that, that seemed to me like he was this sort of tactical tinkerer. He was bringing a lot of innovation. It seemed like what he was as a player is what he is as a manager. But that's very much, to me, an outsider. Yeah, look, you know, um, 
I think Gattuso is a pretty controversial player because obviously he was a very manager. He was a very iconic player. I think people really liked him as a player. The grinta, that determination that he had. I think you know his press conferences. He's always been incredibly honest and uh, passionate. Uh, but at the same time, you know Napoli really were in the driver's seat to make the Champions League uh, last season. Going into the second half of uh, the last game they were in, they can't win against Verona, who had absolutely nothing to play for. I think there was a lot of disappointment with how the season ended at Napoli. Then, you know, this thing with Fiorentina was uh, really weird, I have to say. My initial reaction was maybe siding with Gattuso because I remembered, you know, at Milan, he was under contract. He resigned. He left money on the table. That's extremely rare for a manager to do. So I gave him the benefit of the doubt. But then you hear a lot of reports that, you know, his agent was Mendez. And when Mendez brought him to Fiorentina, it was with the understanding that then Mendez would kind of be running their transfer market. And they were linked to a lot of Mendez players. And the other side of the story is uh, Comiso didn't want to play that game. So I got to be honest, the more I learned, the more I was maybe more on the side of uh, Comiso. Like they, uh, they're trying not to talk too much about this publicly. But look, I think Fiorentina bounced back pretty well. They got Italiano mm-hmm. with the revelation at Spezia. It's interesting that Gattuso, you know, has no club. Uh, right now, there's actually quite a long list of big-name managers that were in Serie A that are out of a job, you know, with Spurs. It's kind of weird how it didn't, didn't work out there. Uh, so, yeah, it seems he's very, you know, entrenched with uh, his agent Mendez right now. Uh, sticking with Fiorentina, uh, you mentioned Vincenzo Italiano uh, being brought over from Spezia. I saw him called in various ways, like, the next big thing in Italian coaching. What's yeah. his story? Why is he so exciting? Yeah, so uh, Italiano was a fairly popular former player, you know, more on lower table teams, was a regista type like Pirlo. He had done very well at Spezia and Serie B last season when Spezia came to Serie A. I think everyone, including me, thought they had no chance at all to stay in Serie A. They didn't have many players with Serie A experience had a bunch of players on loan, and they played brilliantly. They played one of the most offensive styles in Italy. They convincingly avoided relegation. You know, he's kind of like the new version of the Derby, who now is at Shakhtar and already getting amazing reviews for his work at Shakhtar, which really doesn't surprise me that much. So I got to give credit to Comiso and Fiorentina. Now, granted... Uh, Italiano and Gattuso couldn't be more different tactically. So maybe it's not like, hey, Fiorentina was like, this is what we want our team to look like. But, uh, you know, they worked out a deal to bring in Italiano real fast after Gattuso left. So it's pretty intriguing. I think Fiorentina could be interesting team. You know, there's a lot of uncertainty on Vlaovic, which would be another really big shame if uh, Serie A loses him but they have an intriguing squad and i would say of all the managers that comiso has had you know he's had montella Iacchini, prandelli either gattuso or italiano were going to be a massive step up on those but fiorentina is a team that historically likes to play attractive football and be fun and i think italiano absolutely checks that box 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. All right, we have made it probably as far as we can before being legally obligated to talk about Juve. Not a ton <laughs> yeah. to report on the transfer front. The biggest news is the return of Max Allegri. The club is on its third manager in three years. Hasn't really had stability since Allegri was last in charge from 2014 to 2019. How do you think he feels about the squad he's inheriting? Who are the names you think could most benefit from him taking over and being back in charge? And maybe who are the ones who you think could least benefit? Let's start with how do you think he feels about this squad in its present incarnation? Um, I don't think he would have come back because Allegri certainly had a market outside of Italy. So I think he must feel pretty good about the squad. I think what you mentioned is important. I think he sees, okay, Sarri didn't work out. Pirlo didn't work out. Uh, people were like, ah, oh, you know, when Allegri was there, yeah, he wins. But, geez, that is, does it have to be this boring and this pragmatic and this cynical as football? And then you have Sarri and Pirlo, and then Juve fans are like, wait a second, we kind of missed those 1-0 games that we won all the time. <laughs> With Allegri. So I think in that sense, uh, I think he's happy. And look, you know, Juve still, especially with the departures at Inter, they have the best squad. I, I was actually thinking right before we started recording, I was kind of doing some mental math. I was like, I think Juve probably has a payroll. Last season, it was $80 million more than Inter, which is kind of like shocking. I think that gap has actually gone up. So it's like, geez, you know, if you can't win with this... Uh, there's a problem, but I think, you know, Allegri after Juve finishing fourth last season, before there was the obsession with the Champions League, I think seeing how the transfer market is, it's not even really a question. I don't think there's any Juve fan that's like, well, if Allegri doesn't win the Champions League, uh, it's bust. I think for now, it, the people are going to be very happy if Juve wins the Scudetto again. So seeing the circumstances, I think Allegri's got to be very happy with uh, what he's in getting back at Juve after two-year absence. And are there any players in that two-year absence that maybe have been on the outside looking in you expect to be brought back into the plans for the season? Um, it's a good question. Well, look, I'm not surprised that uh, Allegri really wanted to bring in a Locatelli, who I think makes a ton of sense for Juve. They were kind of lacking a player. Um, with those attributes, you know, Allegri keeps saying he's going to focus a lot on Dybala, but you know, to be fa- to be fair, Sarri had said that too, and under Sarri, Dybala won uh, MVP in Serie A. But uh, I-, I think Juve is really into relaunching Dybala more for 
life after Ronaldo, you know, after this upcoming season. So I think you're going to see a lot of focus on him. I, I think Chiesa, after this Euro, is, uh, you know, maybe we're going to start talking about uh, Juve being uh, Chiesa's team. And uh, look, he loves his uh, wing backs as well. I thought Cuadrado was one of Juve's three best players last season. I think he will continue to be. I think in the midfield, Bentancourt is probably happy that Allegri is back. He had played uh, his best football there. And Allegri has challenged the McKinney to score 10 goals this season. I think McKinney could be quite intriguing in uh, that midfield. I think McKinney, Locatelli, Rabiot, if I had to guess, that's probably going to be a lot of what we see. Uh, I think McKinney could have a really good season under Allegri. It sounded like him and Pirlo have an up-and-down relationship. So I think this is going to work out pretty well for him. What about the the obvious name, the big name, Cristiano Ronaldo? He, I think, put out a statement not being particularly pleased with the way his future is being discussed. So we can keep that in mind or not. But what do you think happens with him this season? Well, look, I've been saying all summer that it's really not up to Ronaldo uh, what happens. I'm sure he would have been very happy to leave Juve. I think Juve would have been quite happy to save because the annual cost to them of having Ronaldo between his wages and what's left of amortizing his transfer fee is like 80 million euros. I mean, it's massive. But I was like, I don't see any club who's going to want to invest that amount of money to bring in Ronaldo. So I think he has to be feel very slighted that he was available all summer, pretty much, and the second Messi is available, <laughs> PSG swoop in and get it done. Now, look, you know, there are reasons for that. There was no transfer fee with Messi. I don't think that's much of it. I mean, Juve would have been very happy to just save on his salary, Messi's a little bit younger, but look, I think that statement from Ronaldo yesterday, I think a lot of it comes from that. And uh, going back to Real Madrid, maybe didn't make the most sense, but I think he would have really liked to go to PSG. I know Mendes had tried to work something out, so I got to think for him, it's got to burn that uh, Messi goes there. So it's going to be very interesting to see how he can react. You know, on one hand, you know, he can sulk, not be too happy. On the other hand, he's also playing for his next contract. So, you know, he has just one year left at uh, Juve. So I think this is obviously going to be a very intriguing season uh, for him. You know, what's interesting is he scored a ton of goals at Juve, but Juve itself is not that they were scoring more goals with Ronaldo than before him. So a case can also be made, can we really say – that Juve is better uh, with him or not. There are some, you know, it's small sample size. There's been some games without him where they look quite fluid. So I'm very intrigued. But I will say for Serie A as a whole, with all the departures that we had, and look, in the transfer market, anything can happen. But as of August 18th, I'd be really shocked if he leaves. So I'm going to say for the sake of the league, Maybe more so than you, but it's very good that uh, he's there because he certainly brings eyeballs and interest. Is there a chance that he also is a distraction this season, that if he is kind of concerned about his future, if he is maybe not an automatic starter, or do you think he will be an automatic starter under Allegri? 
Well, yeah, I, I think he will be a starter, and I think this is why it's very important for Juve to have Allegri. Uh, maybe uh, Ronaldo respected Pirlo as a player. I'm not sure he really respected him as a manager. I don't think Pirlo, especially on a short contract at Juve, on low salary for a manager, didn't have the cachet that Allegri now has on a long deal, is the highest-paid manager in Italy, the club obviously really backs him. Look, they'll be very sensitive to Ronaldo, I'm sure, because perception's reality. Um, he's a powerful agent. He has a powerful... There's a lot of reasons mm-hmm. why Juve wouldn't want to, for this to go south. But I think having a manager like Allegri compared to a Pirlo makes a lot more sense. I think they'll be able to manage that better if it gets to that. So we've talked about some teams that have a lot of change. Let's talk about some teams that have kept things relatively the same. Let's go to Atalanta, who brought in Christian Romero on a permanent deal. Uh, they also brought in Mera Demero on a loan. They added a goalkeeper. They brought in a center back. They added a left back. Is uh, Gasparini telling us that he had concerns about their defense? Yeah, uh, I would say so. Um Look, Demaral is a controversial player, was very highly rated by a lot of Juve fans. It was pretty disastrous at the Euro. I thought last season at Juve didn't play particularly well. Uh, but he is somewhat of a similar profile to Romero, who, you know, when he arrived at Atalanta, there was some hopes that he would do well. And then he ended up becoming one of the best defenders in the Serie A. I think it's I don't know if Demaral can get quite there, but they also bring in Lovato, who did uh, very well at Verona, especially in the first half of the season. There was talk that Milan and clubs like that were looking to buy him in January. So, yeah, uh, they make sense. They clearly upgraded at the goalkeeper position. Uh, Golini went to Spurs. I thought Golini was an above-average Serie A. Keeper, but Musa was one of the three best keepers in the league last season, and he's been very, very good for a while. So they clearly improved there for a club like Atalanta, you know, that can't spend a ton, spending 20 million cash money on a keeper, pretty significant, but they upgrade there. Um, you know, part of me wishes maybe they went a little bit more in because I look at the landscape of the league and I'm like, gosh, you know, if a club like Atalanta is ever going to have a chance to win the Scudetto, this is it. And maybe they feel this way of the past two years. Uh, but they did improve. They have more depth. Uh, you know, they held on to Ilicic. Let's see if Duvan Zapata goes to Inter. Uh, the thing with Atalanta is just, they're so deep up front. You know, Muriel off the bench, mostly off the bench, had 20 goals. We saw Piscina at uh, the Euro, how well he did. And there is this notion that Atalanta is more about the systems than the players. Uh, one of my best calls last year was like when Papu Gomez left, a lot of people thought the sky was falling at Atalanta. And I was like, no, I actually think this might not be that bad. And they actually even got uh, better. So, um I'm very high on Atalanta. I wish they had done maybe a little bit more there. They kind of still lack a little options in a midfield, but more backup. But we saw at the Euro, like Gersens and Mele on uh, Gersens on Germany and Mele on Denmark were some of the best wing backs at the Euro. They had brought in Mele in the January window. So yeah, they are definitely a team to watch. I think they are looking really good to be in the top four. And as we mentioned, they kept their manager. Only two of the top seven teams did. Mm -hmm. And 
I think more people feel good about Atalanta, say, retaining Gasperini than uh, Milan retaining Pioli, who deserve to stay, don't get me wrong. But I think it's fair to say if you ask people, you know, where does continuity help you more, I think you would pick Atalanta. Uh, and Atalanta were a, a team this summer who I really enjoyed seeing people like I forget who it was, but multiple people tweeted something along the lines of how come every time there's a really exciting player, I look up who they play <laughs> for and it's Atalanta. And that does yeah. feel uh, pretty accurate for some of the players. It they does. have. Uh, I am one of those people, though, who thought they would be in trouble because Papu Gomez was so important and had so much sort of variability to what he was asked to do and how he did it. But then they, they kept going and they were fine. Then there was the issue with Ilicic, and it seemed like he, too, was going that way of like yeah. he was a critical performer who now seems to be on the outs. It seems like he's going to move. I believe you just said it seems like he's actually there and seems happy. What's the latest with him? What's what's how have they kind of turned things around? Yeah, so Ilicic was heavily linked to Milan. And I got to be honest, I was very surprised that the reaction from most Milan fans was not positive to being linked to Ilicic, which, yeah. you know, even last season, when he's on, and look, he's been very, known for being very inconsistent, but Atalanta, he was much more consistent in the past. Like, you know, even in March when he was on, I was like, this is as good a player as there is in Serie A, as impactful, even in the Champions League against tough oppositions. Ilicic absolutely holds his own. Um, like a lot of players, he's clashed with Gasperini, but it sounds like they made up. You know, Gasperini wants his players to do a lot of defensive work, too, and uh Run a ton. Ilicic is kind of like uh, the exceptions at uh, the club. They call him Nonna. They make fun of him. They call him the grandmother because he doesn't want to work. He's pretty lazy at all. It's a, but uh, yeah, so I, but they don't even really need him to be like a huge different maker because we saw Piscina doing so well. Malinovsky was one of the best players in the second half of the season. And last year they bought Miranchuk, who didn't play a ton. He's a very talented uh, player. So, look, Atalanta's never going to have trouble scoring goals. They improved the defense. They have more depth in some roles. They're a little bit thin in the midfield, but uh, I think they're ready to roll. And I, I think on any day they can beat any team in Serie A. Speaking of that depth, uh, Transfermarkt has it that they had 46 players return from loan, loan <laughs> many of whom have been sent back out on loan. Is that number correct as far as you know? And if so, how do they have that many players? Uh, I, it wouldn't totally uh, shock me. You know, they do have one of the best uh, youth systems in Italy, and they use a lot of these players. I think they kind of see it as, you know, Let's throw a lot of stuff against the wall. Let's see what sticks. You know, Kuduzeski was a player that uh, they had on loan. He absolutely exploded on Parma. They made an absolutely ridiculous profit on him that way. You know, Diallo, who went to Manchester United, another player from the UCC. Mm -hmm. So, look, I'll, I'll take their word for transfer market. That does sound like a lot of players, but I also know that that is kind of their MO. They just have, uh, you know, a lot of cheap players that don't cost a lot to them and they hope one of them a few of them kind of break out and they can turn a profit on them 
And I'm looking at their Wikipedia page now, which does have an absurd number of players on loan, but it's worth noting that almost all of them are Italian, which does then maybe uh, support your point that this is a team that sort of have that strong local academy and then sell some people on, make that money, and continue to perform well. We would expect them to have a strong season. I'm hoping they do. They are in the Champions League, right? Yeah. Okay. Good. All right. I like having, I like a word in which Atalanta are in the Champions League. And to be honest, I like a word in which Milan are good because it just feels like we're supposed to live in a world where Milan are strong and very good. Let's take a look at what they have done so far because I like it when, when they are good, even if I don't root for them. I don't know if they will be this season. I'm excited to hear what you have to say, because the biggest departure, obviously, Donnarumma. We mentioned him earlier. I I did have another Antonio Donnarumma joke here, but I feel like I've already (laughs) sort of used that one. Uh, They brought in a replacement (laughs) keeper, uh, Mike Magnan. I probably butchered that. I apologize from Lille. Uh, They made Tamori's move permanent. Ditto Sandro Tonale. Brahim Diaz is back on loan. Mario Mandzukic walked out the large target striker door, and Olivier Giroud walked right back through it. Uh, What have you enjoyed about their business what do you think they still need to do to be competitive this season so look milan i think are the team that spent the most in Serie A this summer and i think you'd be hard pressed to say they are better so how did this happen um they had a ton of players on loan last season you know tomori as you mentioned tonali they had Dalo, they didn't bring him back. Uh, so they had to already figure out what to do with that. A lot of uh, the money that they got from making the Champions League was spent on retaining Tomori, Tonali, and then replacing Donnarumma, who they lost for nothing. And I can't stress enough how losing two starters like Donnarumma and Chalanoglu for nothing would be incredibly challenging for any Serie A team because the cost of replacing them is pretty high. Now, Mike Magnan, I've heard uh, good things, but, you know, we're talking Donnarumma as one of the three best keepers in the world. Last season, Milan, I think, had the most clean sheets in Serie A. I think Donnarumma was a huge part of it. Now, granted, the positive is you're getting a full season of Tomori as opposed to just half of the season. So you can say, okay, we might be a little bit weaker at keeper, but we're going to be better at center back. So there's that. Uh, Chalanoglu, as I mentioned, very controversial player. I thought he was very good in the first half of the season, tilled off a little bit. Uh, To be fair to Milan fans, they were trashing him when he was there too. So it's not like they started trashing him only when he went to enter. But I would also point out that while he was at Milan, they had three managers. All three of them played him all the time. Uh, Pioli especially seemed uh, to really rely on him. And that midfield, uh, Benacer, Cassie, Chalanoglu together worked really well. They were maybe the best unit in Serie A last season. So as of now, uh, let's see if they bring someone else in. Right now, it seems they are saying Brahim Diaz is going to have to make up for that. They're very different players. Brahim Diaz is much more offensive-minded. Let's say he doubles his production from last year. That goes to, I think, eight goals and eight assists. Good, not great. So I, I wish I was more optimistic about Milan because I really think in Italian football, we need a strong yeah. Milan and Inter. And last season, you know, that's why the season was so engaging. Juve was a little bit down, but they were better. 
them playing in the Champions League, you know, great that they're back, uh, but that's going to take some resources. They have um, two of their midfielders, Benacer and Kessie, are going to go play in the Africa Cup in January. I mean, there's a lot of reasons to be uh, concerned. If you wanted to look at the positive, I think Giroud, one of the best signings in Serie A this season. I think he's going to be a really, really good for them. But, you know, the more he plays, it means that Ibra isn't playing a ton and he's been injured. We saw how important he is from Ibrahimovic. And last season, in my opinion, the strength of the team, aside from uh, Theo Hernandez on the wing, which they still have, and with Hakimi gone, he's absolutely the biggest a different wing, uh, make our wing back was really how strong they were down the middle. They had Donnarumma, Kier, uh, Tomori in the second half, Kessi, Benasev, Chalanoglu, Ibrahimovic. That was kind of like their backbone. That worked really, really well. And now you have Donnarumma, Chalanoglu gone, Ibrahimovic injured. I think, I think out of all those, you can say, well, they definitely Ibrahimovic replace them the best with Giroud and they still have Ibra. But I, I, I do think there are reasons for concerns. I would say of all the teams we talked about, Lazio and Milan are the ones that have the most work to do uh, until the window closes. And the fact that Milan has already spent so much is going to make it hard. So they're going to have to get creative. I think we're going to see a lot of last second moves, swaps, things like that. They do have Romagnoli maybe is a player they can flip for something else. So they have more work to do. But I would say I see them, you know, if you told me, are they closer to Atalanta, Inter, Napoli, than, say, Roma, Lazio, who I kind of see in the next year, I think they're closer to Roma and Lazio. And how likely is it that Stefano Pioli will be blamed if things don't go well? Yeah, look, you know, if you told me what's more likely, Milan finishes second again or Pioli gets sacked this season, I would say it's more likely. Pioli, look, he absolutely deserves to come back. Uh, he did everything that was asked of him. I think once Ibrahimovic extended, it almost was a fait complete that he was staying because him and Ibra developed a great relationship. And look, you know, I think Milan are pretty steady. The other thing, though, is there really are a lot of good managers out there available. So if things go south, Milan could say, hey, you know, we need a changer. So I would say of all the managers we've discussed so far, if there's a bet out there on the most likely manager to be sacked, Pioli would be my choice. David, can we live in a world in which Milan get revenge for Inter taking Hakan Chalanolu by Milan appointing Antonio Conte? Can we make that happen? <laughs> that would be great. And look, I think a lot of Milan fans uh, would really, really love that. <laughs> I, uh, I think Conte, I, I don't think he'll come back this season. I don't see him as someone who wants to take over midseason. I think if my guess is we're going to see him back in the Premier League at some point. I think he really wants to go back there. Uh, final question, since you've been so generous with your time, I don't want to take up too much more, but I did want to ask you about Venezia, who have been doing mm. some signing of their own. They've got some Americans in there. I'm hoping for big things. What are your expectations for them? So uh, I think of all the newly promoted teams, they certainly had the most interesting 
window. Look, in addition to the American players, which is uh, very exciting, and I've heard some uh, good things uh, about most of them. I think they could do quite well. They also bring in Caldara, who was a really highly rated defender not that long ago. Things didn't really work out for him at uh, Juve and Milan. Uh, but look, at Venezia, he can really relaunch his career. Their manager... Uh, Zanetti was not the former player. Another Zanetti did very well in Serie B, very highly rated. Um, you know, Spezia losing Italiano looked to me like a team that are in big trouble. I think Verona, who lost their manager, maybe didn't have a great replacement lined up. They're going to be in trouble. I, I do see a world where uh, Venezia managed to stay up in Serie A. And look, kudos to them. Uh, the marketing that they've done, superb, not just, you know, investing in the American market, which looks, you know, has worked out well in Italy. You saw what they did with their jerseys. There's rightfully a lot of bugs mm-hmm. for them. So uh, good for them. All right. Well, David Amayo, good for you for knowing all of the things you know to make sense of this coming Serie A season. Uh, if people want to continue to hear from you, uh, how can they do so? We will have you back on the show uh, multiple times this season. Listeners, don't worry about that. But if they want to hear you in between those appearances, David, how can they do so? Yeah, so uh, you can hear me on uh, Cultureland. We have a free episode every Friday on all platforms. We're going to have a big season preview coming Friday. We have an episode on Patreon, different things there. Sometimes you hear me on Sirius uh, XM, and I look forward to doing shows with you again, Taylor. It's been a real, real pleasure. I really enjoy chatting with you. I love the work that uh, you do, so thanks so much for having me. All the best to you and the listeners, and I definitely look forward to doing this again. Wow. Thank you very much, man. That's that's kind words. Listeners, thank you all very much. We will talk to you all again very soon.